When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tired of that same old, same old breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Same old tasting scrambled eggs, burger, that dinner steak, ribs, or pork chops. Why not add a little bit of spice or just a touch of heat to make the difference? Change that scrambled egg with a little bit of Johnny Fabulous's John Cena Sr.'s Million Dollar Jalapeno Hot Sauce. Great on burgers, steaks, chops, and those barbecued ribs. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Sport and non-sport cards, wrestling items, autographed items. We buy, sell, and trade. M&J Video Games and Collectibles, located at 1049 Queen Street, Southington, Connecticut. Call us at 1-860-479-9223 or 860-93-GAMES. M&J, video games and collectibles. Hi, it's Josh, Under the Table Hot Sauce. I'm here with my friend, the star of the show, Jimmy Farrow. Yeah, what's up, JB? Nah, nothing. It's been a hot summer, and for all your barbecue needs, you can go to UndertheTableHotSauce.com. 13 unique flavors to choose from, created and bottled in a Long Island kitchen. UndertheTableHotSauce.com. Let's go chow, JB. Let's do it. All the flavor, twice the burn. Do you treat your dog as part of the family? <laughs> well, so do we. So why not celebrate your pup's birthday with the ultimate party box? Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Party Pup Info, and let us make your pup's party or any celebration perfection.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode three of Higher and Higher with your host, Dr. Leonard Wayne. So we we're talking about last uh, last episode about giving back. It's not about us. It's about not about me. It's not about I. It's about us collectively together. What can we do to help each other prosper? Help each other accomplish our goals, ambitions, and dreams. So what I want to talk about, Leonard, with you, man, is like. From what I understand, you were in your teens and you were complete. You were competing in martial arts tournaments, and you were one of the first black belts under Chuck Norris. Which is for people to know, he's one of the first black belts under Chuck Norris. Um, you were scouted at one of the tournaments, I do believe, to join the Teamsters. Is that how that story went? No, it was the Olympic Auditorium boxing okay. with Ken Norton. Okay, uh, that's where. Jimmy Hoffa was at. He enjoyed uh, boxing, and uh, that's where he again. Remember uh, the term "Great White Hope" was very special, mm -hmm. and they thought again, being Irish background, six five, uh, without boasting, I had a tremendous jab. As Kenny said, uh, I had a left hook that put him into tomorrow. He gave me the nickname Lenny the Lion. Matter of fact on the back of the book there's ken norton right there with my beautiful wife and i was at kenny's bedside in henderson he passed away and it was so sad he had uh, shrunk to about 98 pounds and he had no money he had found himself in such a, a precarious position i do want people to understand kenny was a big believer of Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. And for the listeners that aren't familiar with that book, it's important I interject this. The only book that has sold more copies is the Bible. That's mm. how many copies of Think and Grow Rich. And it's made more millionaires. The concept of the book is if you can conceive the idea and believe in your heart, and if you don't quit, you'll achieve it. You're a perfect example of that. I know for a fact, mm -hmm. some of the obstacles you went through, you never gave up on your vision. And now you're reaping the rewards. I mean, I'll tell the listeners, you just signed a very large movie deal. And I'm very proud of you. But it's so important people understand. You can get that book on audio. If you're not someone who likes to read, if you have a reading problem, get it on audio. The other thing I want to interject here, he wrote another book called Outwitting the Devil. And it was so controversial, his wife, Ruth, said, you're not going to publish that book. Now, ironically, Think and Grow Rich was wrote in 1938. Mm -hmm. And he had finished this other Outwitting the Devil about a year later. Ironically, it was just seven years ago, they finally published and released it. It's also on audio. And for people that really want to understand how clever Satan is, you have to listen to it. He is interviewing Satan, and Satan describes in detail how he gets people to go to darkness. He uses a term, drifters. He says most young people learn from their parents the bad habits, smoking, drinking, stealing. 
but it's fascinating. And I've turned young people onto it and they literally will say, I've listened to it six times. It's fascinating because it'd be like you asking someone you're getting ready to go to battle with, what are the techniques you're going to use against me? I mean, wouldn't that give you the advantage of winning the fight? So it's so important that people hear what I'm trying to share with them. It's another gift, Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. Think and Grow Rich is, again, on how you deal with overcoming obstacles. You know, the book was written before the Great Depression, mm -hmm. and a lot of his friends jumped off buildings and took their lives when they lost their money. He describes in this book how the people that were able to diversify, the people that didn't give up, the people who used this information always recouped. And that's the answer in life. When you go through something that's a trial, no matter what it is, he writes in this book, every obstacle, every so-called setback carries with it the seed of equal or greater opportunity for those who have eyes to see. So that's the important lesson. I also want to go back to Carlos Ray Norris. You know, it's funny. Carlos doesn't drink anymore. Carlos has married a new wife. He's a good Christian. He's trying his best now to help kids. He has a program called Kickstart, helping kids stay off of drugs and alcohol. And his whole life is now giving back where he got all wrapped up in ego. He got all wrapped up. His alcohol of choice was Cavassier. And it's just amazing how we still communicate. And remember, I was nine years old. Back then, you didn't get your black belt in 18 months. I mean, it was uh, for seven years for me. And it was something I was very proud of. Everyone didn't have a black belt. Nowadays, it's interesting. I just got asked by Bill Wallace to be in his new book, and they were doing my bio, and I give so much credit to the people that helped me. I mean, Mike Stone, great man, uh, even somebody that just passed away, Bob Wall. Bob is someone that never could get the monkey off his back, the ego, the alcohol, and it's sad because the legacy, again, that most people know it's not a pleasant legacy where Chuck, on the other hand, his legacy is bright and it's all about the choices we make. I hope listeners today that are on the fence about who they want to serve. Bob Dylan, a famous songwriter, his lyrics are, you have to serve somebody. Who are you going to serve? Darkness, depression, Satan. The light, what is the light? The light is Christ, Yeshua. Who are you going to serve? It's the yin and the yang. It's up to you. You're going to feel a lot better if you're in the light. Mm -hmm. I'm going to repeat. The antidote to depression is doing loving deeds and trying not to get caught doing. Just saying to somebody, what a beautiful smile you're wearing today. It's amazing. It doesn't matter if I'm at Starbucks. What a beautiful smile you're wearing. Oh my gosh, you noticed? Thank you. And you're giving love unconditionally. What are you putting in the universe? It's very important that the listeners understand this statement. We are all transmitters and we are transmitting regardless if we're aware of it or not. It's either negative energy and people don't want to be around you 
That's why people say, how come nobody wants to be around me? Well, uh, are you a negative person? I mean, are you always criticizing other people, critiquing, giving unsolicited advice? I mean, I'm sure some of us have met people like that. They know everything. They're going to tell us their opinion. I don't know about you, but I really just tune them out. Then there's others they are just always loving and kind. I mean, even the animals come up to them. It's like they know they can see and feel that energy. So if you just focus on that, what am I transmitting? What am I putting in the universe? You right now, Tim, are putting that beautiful energy. That's why you're getting these contracts. That's why these movie deals are coming to fruition. It's not that you're lucky. It's you focused on what matters, and that's what you're putting in the universe. So when people say you're lucky, they don't understand the mechanics of what luck is. Luck is when opportunity meets preparation. I'll say it again. Luck is when opportunity meets preparation. I'm not lucky right now that we're having this podcast. We became brothers. You have this platform. All of a sudden, hey, I can help promote you, your book. Let the world know there's somebody out there that claims he's got the answer. What does he say? He says, stay in the light. The answer is serving the light. And most people that are biblical know the light is Jesus Christ. But if I was to stay, stay close to Jesus Christ, some people would turn me off. Mm -hmm. go, ah. That's one of the biggest obstacles in recovery. A lot of people tell me, you know, I tried that AA and that NA, but that God stuff, you know, I mean, the God stuff. It's like, really? What are you, a recovering Catholic? Were you subjected to abusive nuns? Did you have a bad Sunday school teacher? But see, all of that's an excuse. I told you, Jesus has a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. His real name is Yeshua. There are no J's in Hebrew, but yet people call him Jesus. Your name is Timothy. Imagine if I called you Frank. I mean, you'd be inclined to say, uh, that's not my name. My name's Timothy. But it doesn't matter to him. Jesus is the word that most people are familiar with. And the guy was cool. Let's face it. I mean, the guy was cool. Because what did he do? He went around helping people find love. If you were on a mule riding to Damascus to crucify Christians and the donkey started talking to you, you might listen, but that wasn't good enough. He had to be blinded. And again, these are all real stories. I think it's imperative people know when I get into something, I become passionate about it. It doesn't matter if it's cocaine or cannabis. I want to know all the real truth. I want the best. So that was the same approach I took when I started studying the Bible. I really want to become well-versed so I can say scripture. People ask me again about, tell me again the solution as far as using scripture to when your dad killed your mother. How did you? Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. What does it say? I'll never put more on your shoulders than you're able to bear. And most importantly, I'll always give you a way out. Now, I make fun of it sometimes and say, I wish he didn't trust me so much because some of that is pretty heavy. I mean, it was heavy. I thought it was interesting how he did the one, two, three on me. First, I'm going to have your dad murder your mom. 
Then he's going to take his life. This is after your best friend killed himself. Now you're going to be indicted. Now you're going to lose all the money you hidden offshore. Now you're going to go to prison and lose your freedom. Take your life. Take your life. Take your life. It made me who I am today. I wouldn't have this ability right now to share love with you if I had taken my life. We might, right? And you can't have good without evil. Evil without good. I mean, there's good and there's bad. And so my thing with you was really interesting is that you help reach and teach and enlighten people. So God uses your vessel to do that because you've lived the life. Um, let the audience know out there, like, what are, what's the reaction? What's the reaction, say, when a parent brings their child into you to have you counsel them or help them and they have an alcoholic addiction or they have a drug addiction? What's the reaction when they find out that you actually lived that life? So you're better adverse to help that person than your regular counselor who never lived that life. Well, ironically, it fascinates me when I'll have a 38-year-old man reach out to me and say, I read your book, and I think you're the perfect person to help my 27-year-old son. I'm like, that's after reading my book? You think I'm the one? So again, I give all the credit to my higher power, which I call Christ, because I didn't want to write that book. My first book, a lot of the listeners might not be aware of this, was for a company called Nike. Uh, mm. One of my USC brothers, Anthony Davis, who scored four touchdowns against Anthony Davis, I ran into him working as a jewelry store as a security guard. This was a Heisman Trophy runner-up. I mean, this guy was, and I'm seeing him, and I'm like, what are you doing? So I asked him to come in. I was doing life coaching at the time by John Wayne Airport. And he came in and I said, you know, Anthony, I've got some people and we can put together your life story. You're the first athlete to wear Nikes on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Uh, so I got Willie Mays, a famous baseball player, Jim Brown, probably one of the most recognized football players to forward it. It took nine weeks. It's called If My Nikes Could Talk. And it describes his life. It describes the University of Southern California getting in the NFL. And to show you how karma is, his girlfriend, this is all in the book, higher and higher. She came to my office and she said, you know, some of the pictures Anthony gave you, I took the photos and I didn't get credit and I didn't get compensated. And I used to be a commercial photographer. So I'm like, you know, I asked Anthony specific about that. And she said, you know, I also want to tell you, he's stealing books from you and selling them at USC events behind your back. I go, are you serious? So Tim, you're gonna love this. It shows you I'm still a little crazy. I call him on my speakerphone and I've got his girlfriend, Vera LeBronc at my office. I go, Anthony, guess who's sitting in my office? And of course he's, whoa, who, who what, what, what? I go, Vera LeBronc just ratted you out. So guess what? You're done. And Nike was buying a hundred books every week they were giving them out at their outlet centers. Anthony and I would go and do get Nelson Ferris. He's the second man that runs Nike. He was so excited to be a part of this. I mean, this thing was going to be huge. He was going to, I mean, remember this took place in the seventies. So to bring this back to life in 2007, it was like reliving that, but it was amazing. He couldn't believe it. I think I threw away 2,500 books. It's like, you're done. 
I'm all done. I can't be around you. I had Marcus Allen and Charlie White come up and say, how come you did his story instead of ours? You were betting on the wrong horse. I go, I don't know. But that again shows you how all of a sudden the kid that's dyslexic is a publisher and involved in a book. And that's when, again, the Holy Spirit, I bet it was 2.33 in the morning. I mean, I was woke and it was so clear. I want you to write a book. I want you to tell everybody all the crazy things you've been hiding. And I want you to call it higher and higher. Because that's what you're trying to do, right? Higher and higher. And I'm like, no way. For nine months, I had yellow pads and I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm writing. I'm like, I can't put that in writing. I can't put that in writing. I can't put that in writing. And to show you how the Lord works, when I was doing the, if my Nikes could talk, I was working with the Republican Party, doing a lot of fundraisers, and I had met this ghostwriter and editor who's done about 26 ghost books, and I asked him to be the editor, and I also asked him to be the editor on my book, and he said, this is fascinating, you are going to have people, I go, no, come on, you're just saying that, you're appeasing me. And I'm telling you, when I got the first like 15 reviews, I go, Don, people are reading my book. I'm getting reviews on Amazon. And on uh, all the projects he's done, I don't think he's got 20 reviews on any of them. I got 30 reviews. I got 50 reviews. I got 100 reviews. Can you, I mean, Tim, you're aware for a self-published book to have over 100 reviews, that means quite a few people have read it because most people do not leave reviews. But it's, it's, it's just amazing. As I, I think today, there's 119 reviews. And when I read a review, it not only makes me feel loved, because some of the words, they express how I help their son, their daughter, or help them. And again, how they emphasize, he wants me to give the credit to Jesus. He doesn't want me to give the credit to him. See, that to me proves I'm giving the message. I'm giving the message because it's easy to want to believe that, oh, no, I'm the one. I got into a debate with Tony Robbins. I said, you know, you make people believe that if they listen to your material, that you plagiarized. I mean, I know the people you plagiarized. You don't give Napoleon no credit. You don't give William uh, W. Clement Stone. And that's your business. Maybe I'm envious because you're worth $500 million. I'm not worth $500 million. But the point is, why not give credit to where credit's due? That's why when I tell people, Ken Norton was a believer of Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. He beat Muhammad Ali. I want to share this with the listeners. This is 1973, San Diego Arena. This is the first big money fight Kenny's going to have. Now, remember, Elvis Presley's there. Uh, they had got uh, a special robe for Muhammad Ali. I mean, he thought this was going to be a laydown. And I kept telling Kenny, you got to hurt him or they're going to steal. Well, he broke his jaw, broke his jaw. So they couldn't steal the fight. And that was the largest payday that Kenny had ever got. He got 50 grand. And believe me, it was interesting because most people know they had a trilogy of fights and I have a different opinion of who won the second fight. But again, it was, well, let's have Ali. But the point is, he was such a believer. He didn't give up. He was a Marine boxer. That's where he got his start in the Marine Corps. And just like anything, it's being at the right place at the right time. But Kenny, to me, was like a brother. And I love him and I miss him. 
and he walks with the Lord. I know he's in heaven, so I get to see him again. But it's so important that the listeners realize I'm not saying higher and higher is going to help you. It'll entertain you. What's going to help you is, again, realizing you control what you think. You control it. If you want to be negative, if you want to be in depression, that's what you think. If you want to be in the light, can it be much simpler? Do you know, on the other side of the armband, it says, stay in the light. So you can wear that side up if you want. And it reminds you, see, this is the arm I punch with, snort with, smoke with, drink with, steal with. So I have it right there to remind me I don't do those things anymore. Mm -hmm. See, that's the old me. Mm -hmm. And how can a simple armband be so effective? Well, it's first because I put it on. See, that to me, because see, when people say put on the full armor of God, what does that mean? Well, let's not go there. Let's keep it simple. We can put on an armband, right? It says the devil's a liar. Praise the Lord. You say it three times. And what? That's his kryptonite. A lot of people don't know what that means. That's Superman. Superman would lose his power when kryptonite. Well, Satan's got his powers taken away when you worship the Lord. And that's by praising the Lord. Praising, not going to church, not putting money in the offering basket. Praising the Lord trying to stay in that mindset. I know I've said that more than a couple of times because I really want people to understand that's the answer. They all want to know what's the answer. How do I beat alcoholism? I mean, I get up and I don't want to drink and I'm shaking. I'm shaking. Yeah, because your body is so used to alcohol. If you don't have a shot or two, it can't stop shit. You know, people like this, they have to have a couple shots just to get normal. Mm -hmm. Well, you're killing your body, your liver, your kidney, your body's going, you're putting poison. It's the same with cannabis users. They get up in the morning and they take a hit because they think it makes it bearable. No, it steals your passion. It's like tying your shoelaces together before the race starts. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's Richard Battalion's line right there, Dickie B. He'd always tell people, and he was a big cannabis user. We enjoyed cannabis, but he would make the comment when a young person would want to partake, he would remind them, you're tying your shoelaces together. You're right now out in the world trying to be successful. Do you really want to hinder yourself by putting, I mean, you're stealing your passion. I don't know about you, Tim, but I think you know, most people that smoke all day don't do anything but lay around. One million percent. Okay. And I would say this, so, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in your youth, you were doing all these daredevil things, you were off cliffs, you were riding on the hood of cars, you were actually a stuntman in Hollywood doing stunts, uh, you were a private pilot, you had your own pilot license, um, you know, and, and the thing is, man, is like you, I think all along, the life of crime, where you were a, a dealer, an addict, uh, a jewel thief, a diamond, whatever the case was, you were reaching out for attention. Always. And you were trying Always. to get higher and higher while reaching out for that attention. Always. You hit the nail on the head. The, the important thing you brought up, becoming an aviator, uh, it's interesting, again, how the Lord works. On my bucket list was I always wanted to be a millionaire. I always wanted to be a pilot. There was a show when I was a kid called Sky King, and I loved it, the plane. Well, one of my martial arts students was the flight base operator at a small airport called French Valley. 
And he came in with his son and asked if I wanted to barter. And I'm like, absolutely. I didn't go to flight school. I did all the material myself. And magically, I became not only a licensed pilot, but when I was sharing with my nephew just the other day, he's trying to get his captain's license. And I'm like, you keep giving me excuses. You keep giving me excuses. You don't understand. When I put my mind to something, I stay focused on it and I don't quit until I achieve it. I wanna share with the listeners, becoming a broker, you have to take a test and it's called a series seven test. And apparently the only test that's harder is the bar exam. And it's a ball buster. I repeat, ball buster. They don't have three multiple choice, it's five multiple choice. And three of the answers could be the right answer. So it's really difficult. They do an FBI background check. I thought that would stop me right there. It's like, there's no way I'm gonna pass a 10 year FBI pack. When I said, I passed? Well, I want the listeners to hear this loud and clear. I didn't know how to use a computer at the time. This is what, 1993, 94. And they have me studying and I could barely even pronounce some of the words, fiduciary responsibility. What? I didn't know what a mortgage, a bond, a, a, I didn't know any of it, but I knew they made a lot of money and I wanted to be a stockbroker because I figured that'd make me a millionaire. Well, I not only went in and took the test and you have to get 70 to pass and I got a 69 and the two people I went with also failed. Well, they never even returned back to the broker dealer. I showed up the next day and I said, how long do I have to wait before I can take the test again? And I think it was five weeks. And I went in and this time I got a 70. So now I became a licensed stockbroker. Hello. I'm here. Are you there? Oh, there you go, brother. We got you back. I can't see you. But you can see me. Yep, we can see you. I don't know how much you got of the becoming a broker. Do you know where it let off? Okay, we're back. Yep, we got the beginning of that story. You want me to finish the story? Yes. Okay, how much did we get? Just the beginning. Okay. This is for the listeners to understand the power of Think and Grow Rich. Uh, this was in the 90s, and I decided I wanted to become a stockbroker. And Taking the test is pretty brutal. It's pretty extensive. First, I had to go through a 10-year FBI background check, which I was amazed I was able to pass. Then the test required, again, studying material that I could barely read, let alone comprehend. But I knew stockbrokers make a lot of money. 
So I figured again, this would be an avenue to become a millionaire. That was my number one quest. I wanted to become a millionaire. I want you to realize I'm a millionaire. Back then, that was a lot of money. Today, uh, anyway, I remember going to take the test and they not only take your driver's license, they take your thumbprint because back then people were actually being paid to take the test for other people. One of the things that's important to share, my grandmother Noni on my mom's side, when I was seven years old, she gave me Think and Grow Rich. Now remember, being a kid dealing with dyslexia, given a book is rather anticlimactic. This is for me. But she reassured me, if you read that book, you will become a very successful salesman. And salesmen are the highest paid professionals in the world. Really? So I not only took that for the grain of salt, but the point is, I had to go and take this test. It was like six hours long. They have cameras. Everything is filmed. And you have to get a 70 to pass. And when I went up to skip my score, I got a 69. So I had missed it by one point. I was devastated. The two other broker trainees that went with me were devastated. They also failed. They never returned to Merchant Bank. I went back and asked the director, how long do I have to wait before I can take it again? I think it was four weeks. I was already able to sell under another broker's license. So they knew I was gifted for selling. I went and took it again. And this time I got a 70. So now I'm a certified licensed stockbroker. And I was so successful at selling oil and gas. I was headhunted from Merchant Bank by a company called Camden Group. I raised, I don't know, 60 million from them. I was now headhunted by Columbus Financial. And everything they were selling was only good for the broker dealer. You were lucky to get your money back. And I actually knew this. So again, I couldn't drink enough because I would meet some nice person like you, spend 20 minutes on the phone, get them to invest $50,000 into something that they would be lucky to get their money back but in my mind, I just made $5,000 commission, so I was happy. But yet I knew inside what I was doing was not going to in any way be good karma. That's that karma piggy bank. That's that energy we're putting out. So I would go buy expensive shoes and suits. So you would again look at that instead of the soul that was being deteriorated by bad karma. So tell the story where you got indicted for dealing in stocks. I believe the story goes that you were selling shares and stocks of companies that didn't exist, but I could be wrong. So I don't want to say that exactly, but I want you to tell the story. Uh, ironically, I had uh, been successful enough. I had set up offshore accounts in the Cook Islands and had quite a bit of money. So I now had retired and had other businesses set up. And this gentleman approached me and his name was John Rocket. 
and he was from Houston, Texas. And he said, you're the venture capital king of Newport Beach, California. I'd like you to raise $5 million for me. And remember, I'm no longer protected by the securities exchange when you're working as a licensed broker. That's the protection you have. So you can rape and pillage the innocent and not go to prison because again, the securities exchange, if anything, is going to give you a slap on the wrist. Well, I had checked this company out because again, it was an independent venture. Uh, I checked the Better Business Bureau of Houston. Uh, he even had professional people he paid to uh, claim they'd been with the company years and it was very reputable. They referred to them as singers. So he had convinced me it was a, a real deal. I think it took me nine weeks to raise $5 million. I was paid, my money was sent offshore. I was going through my divorce at the time. So I was happy with that and I was making a lot of money. And ironically, I think it was almost three years later um, I had got a cigar store because Cuban cigars are very popular. Uh, the woman I'm with now, been with 27 years, I bought her a hair salon. So we had legitimate business fronts. And of course, I was still doing loan sharking. But I remember the FBI pulling my black Corvette over and they had helicopters going around because this guy's a dangerous black belt killer. And I'm like, you must have the wrong guy. And this is right after the demise of my parents. And they're like, no, no, you have an, uh, an indictment out of Houston, Texas. I'm like, what? So I got Dave Adler as my attorney, ex-CIA. That was a couple hundred thousand dollars. I'll never forget when he told me I was looking at 10 years. I go, 10 years? 10 years? Are, are you making this up? No, you're looking at 10 years in federal? I'm like, come on. I've got away with all this stuff. And I'm looking at 10 years. You know, one of the stories I left out when we were talking about the Teamsters, uh, they asked me if I'd be willing to kill somebody. And I said, well, I'm not willing to kill somebody, but I'm a very good shot. Um, I would shoot a guy's car and scare him. So there's a story in my book about me and my motorcycle following this guy on the 405 freeway uh, by Wilshire Boulevard. And I put three rounds in the back of his trunk and... Uh, that shows again how crazy I was. I didn't think that's attempted murder. I mean, to me, it was again, a big payday, but it's just fascinating how some of the things that I've done, I didn't realize how serious the consequences would be if I had been caught. So the irony of going to federal prison for securities fraud, it just shows again how karma catches up with you. I do wanna remind the listeners what was the first thing the warden wanted me to do, though? Review her portfolio and handle her stocks. So it was interesting because, again, and I had read the Bureau of Prison Manual, and it said you weren't allowed to do that. And she laughed. She goes, you're going to tell me the rules of the Bureau of Prison? I remember I turned her on to a stock called Ballard Power. They made uh, fuel prawn fuel cells before electric vehicles. And Viagra was getting ready to come out with Pfizer. So she had made a lot of money in her portfolio. I was there, but it's just, it's uncanny how all those illegal gotten gains were stolen by other people, either attorneys or other crooks. So I find myself getting out of prison going, well, I have 150 grand here. Oh, that was stolen by a Cuban. Well, I've got a million five here. Well, that was swindled by a broker. 
So it's like I did all this and now I don't even have all the illegal gotten money. That's how it works. That's when Satan was convinced you, you'll take your life now, won't you? Nah, not today. So while we're on that subject, what do you think about people like Bernie Madoff? Well, Bernie was very talented at what he did. Uh, everybody knew what it was. Uh, they were just involved in the greed. See, greed is a very strange thing. It makes you blind. It's like right now, everybody's buying into Bitcoin. Well, in the last seven weeks, a lot of people have lost a lot of money. Uh, the Dow market right now, I heard yesterday someone make a comment, it's no longer the 401k, now it's the 21k, because the stock market has went down 7,000 points. People, again, are trying to figure out, wait a minute, I had my money in the stock market. Most people don't even know what the stock market is. They're told by their financial investor, you put your money in these, you'll be safe. Anytime you have your money in the market, your money is in jeopardy. And right now, people are realizing that, especially retirees. They're trying to figure out, what am I going to do? I mean, we're living in some very dark times. But for people who are familiar with the book, the Bible, it's all written that these are the things that will happen. We're living in a time where right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right. Well, and what does that mean? That means you're getting pretty close to the returning of Christ. And he comes back with an iron rod. People might want to look that up. What, what is an iron rod about? But for people that believe, none of that in any way is scary. I actually look forward to it. It's like people that are dealing with the loss of a loved one. If that loved one knew the Lord, they're in a better place. They're in heaven. And you'll meet them again. For people who don't believe in that, I want to go back to physicians. A lot of physicians have trouble with God because they're scientific minds. And once they get in the program, they realize without God, higher po power, they'll drink and use again. So a lot of them have read my book and they want to know my God because my God is not judgmental. A lot of doctors are homosexuals, so they again believe that, well, you think bad of us because it says it's an abomination. I don't judge people. If you're not hurting kids or animals, I don't care what you do. If you cross the line and you 